Welcome, friends. Welcome to a new episode of the Soul Kitchen. Today, I'm talking with Maria Mastro di Casa, a former Wall Street bo- broker, a writer, a speaker, and self-advocacy coach and uh, and mentor. How are you today, uh, Maria? I'm doing wonderful. It's so wonderful to meet you and to be on this Soul Kitchen. It's perfect because I, I love to cook and I love to be here. I'm really curious to learn about your your recipes for life for uh, for other people. So why have you chosen to focus on self-advocacy? Um, because in the writing of my book, I started to realize that I've been advocating for myself since I was in the third grade. And, and what does that look like? It was using my voice to take a stand for myself and later to take a stand for my mother and my sister. And how powerful that was to see what it created by just simply using our voice and how to use our voice. So what happened back then in the third grade? Uh, so in the third grade, uh, I moved for a short period of time from New York to the state of New Jersey. And my parents put me in a private school, which I was very excited to go to until the nun asked me to come to the front of the class and read out loud. And so as I read, I was having difficulty and I didn't know why. And the classmates were laughing at me and the teacher got angry with me. And she actually hit me over the head with a book. (laughs) I guess she thought like by some miracle that hitting me over the head would, you know, create a magical knowledge and I'd be able to read. And uh, not only was I embarrassed, I, I didn't understand how a nun, a teacher would get so angry at me for having difficulty. Mm. So I then, you know, I didn't feel safe with her, so I didn't say anything to her. But when I got home, I spoke, you know, to my parents. It continued to happen. And thankfully, then they took me out of that that school. And I I flourished to a degree. And later, fast forward, I found out that I was dyslexic. So that must have been a challenging experience. And and how did you respond uh, at that time in terms of self-advocacy? Well, at that time... uh, which is what I taught my children. I did not feel safe with that person. So I didn't use my voice there. I stayed still. I stayed quiet. I waited till I arrived home, saw how my mom would react to this note that I received. And I shared with her and my dad what happened and then what continued to happen. You know, it just continued, which can happen in the workforce too. This, this 
a nun was just not really happy with me. My mm -hmm. whole ways of being, my hair, she blamed my hair. Maybe that's why you can't read. And so I, I shared that with my parents. I said, she wants me to cut my hair or they're going to cut it in school. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I, I use my voice and, and it's how you use your voice. Because, you know, if you're hysterical and you as a man can understand that, sometimes people tune you out. So you might tune people out if they're not, you know, just calmly speaking to you saying, wow, this really, and, and being vulnerable and sharing how it made me feel, you know? Yeah, I see. So um, it's, it's important to, uh, to share how things make you feel. And um, what have been other events in your life that has, have motivated you to become a self-advocacy mentor? Uh, well, as I said, I use my voice to, to um, help my mother through situations. She was ill and I, I was her voice and uh, in, in court and in medical situations, I got to take a stand for her. I think the biggest challenge for me was uh, when I was on Wall Street um, and I was asked to leave. I was, I mean, supposedly fired for um, not doing, uh, not saying yes to a boss who, who, who was making advances to me. And so my values led me. That, was, that is one of my ingredients is so my values led me and I was asked to leave the building. And had I left the building, I wouldn't have had a career on Wall Street and be became what I became, you know, a broker and the number one broker in my department. It's, I was asked to leave and I just, I, I was so upset and so nervous and I started to leave the building and what happened, something inside me came up and I said, wait a second, who are they to tell me to leave? And so I went to the owner of the company, the owner of the company, which was this company was made more money in the day than the New York Stock Exchange. So he was a, a big time person like it would be like Michael Douglas in the in the movie Wall Street. And I said, can I tell my side of the story? And he sat and listened and he said, you go home. I got this. You come back on Monday and I assure you, you'll have a job. I was not working in that department that I was where I had the advance and I got to continue my career, learn a lot, stayed in this company. And then I was, went to another company and I was recruited and I became a broker. So I use my voice to take a stand because, you know, now a lot of people know the me too movement, but there wasn't that then. Mm -hmm. And um, I could have stayed silent as many women do because they think it's, they're the only ones it happens to. And so they don't come forward. But later on, you'll hear, as you, I'm sure, hear of politicians or people that um, all of a sudden all these women come out of the woodwork and they go, oh, it, could it be true? Of course it's true. Not 14 or 15 people are going to come forward and say the exact same thing happened to them if it's not true. Uh, the reason they may not do it is fear, fear that they'll be blackballed from the industry. So fear stands in the way of us using our voice. Yeah. So someone crossed or broke your values and then you decided to speak up and then the, the boss decided you could stay in the company. That's a great example. 
And can you elaborate on this word that you mentioned, fear? So why is fear so important to people and, and, and why does it withhold people from acting? So uh, as I said, and I love that you have this soul kitchen. So we all have our own recipes, recipes for things we cook, but recipes to get through our life. And so fear is an ingredient I believe doesn't belong in any recipe because, you know, we have fear, fear of failure, but also fear of success, fear of using our voice, fear of not being enough, fear of, I mean, there are people who have fear of leaving their house or fear mm -hmm. of flying. So what is it standing in the way of? What is your dream? What is your purpose in life? And are you afraid to move forward? So yeah. through, through my life, I've had many uh, challenges, as, as we all do. And um, I was afraid. I was afraid to go get that job on Wall Street because I was told I would never get a job in Manhattan, in New York City. And I pushed through the fear and went in anyway. So that's what courage is. Courage is the ability to have the fear and, and push through the fear. Mm. So you're saying that people have a dream or a purpose, but then fear stands in the way. Can you elaborate what type of fears exist and, and which ones are most common amongst people that you meet? Uh I think fear of being themselves, fear of being vulnerable, myself included, uh, and how empowering it could be when you let go of that. So the fear of being ourselves in when we walk into a company um, to get a job. Oh, you know, I, I, I don't know how to do that yet. Um, what if they find out? I don't know. Or in a, a relationship, fear of being yourself, being who you authentically are, sharing your you know feelings. I don't mean all at once, but as you know, you progress and move forward, you get to share that. Yeah. So the the fear of being oneself. It's it's a it's to be ourselves, and um um. What has been your fears? I mean, you've written a book about you or never. Yeah, so mm -hmm. what have been your own fears in your life? Um, so for me, it's interesting because, you know, as a young child, all of most of us, I should say, as a child, we don't believe anything is impossible. We just look at life and we just think everything is exciting and possible. So where does this impossibility come come into play it's it's what we hear what all of a sudden is around us people saying to us you can't do that you'll never do that so that's where the fear came in is that the people that were closest to me didn't believe in me or maybe it was that they didn't believe in themselves mm. and which person was most relevant for you um, I think my mother and my sister are the ones who continually told me, you'll never. And I think it was their own fears or what society was telling them because it was, I, I couldn't read well at the time. I didn't read well. I didn't know why. 
Um, I then left school. So I always think of Richard Branson. Uh, <laughs> so then I left school and I didn't have a high school diploma. So how was I going to go to Manhattan, get a job on the trading floor, make more money than any woman uh, ever made on Wall Street? Um, I made more, like double the, just getting in the door, I made double what my mother was making working for years. Um, and I was 18 years old without a high school diploma. So being told you'll never, I had this terrible fear that I wouldn't be accepted anywhere because I was told that. Yet I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this token, which is what you use for the subway, but now it's a Metro card. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go into the city. And if no one hires me, I guess I'll go back home because I lived in one of the boroughs of New York. I lived in Brooklyn. I'll just go home. And I guess what they'll say is true. And if I don't give it a try, I'll have regret. So what's worse than fear is regret for mm -hmm. me. I, I see. And you say that um, uh, sometimes people have fears themselves and then they project them onto you. So how was your, what fears did your mother have that she projected on you, for instance? Um, I think that my mother, um, maybe didn't think I was enough or maybe she didn't think she was enough. I mean, she had a, my mother was a lovely, very friendly, outgoing woman. Um, most people liked her, but uh, her marriage had broken up. So maybe she felt that she wasn't enough. And then she projected that onto me, not intentionally. Mm. And, and I didn't always look the way I look now. So when I was young and I'm, I come from a European background, so we ate anything and uh, we, I'm Italian. So I ate a lot of pasta and um, I gave it up for a while because I was made fun of. I was called mm -hmm. Thunder Thighs, Bertha Butt, all kinds of names. And so one night I sat down to dinner and they're like, why aren't you having pasta? Why aren't you having this? And I said, well, I want to, you know, try to see if I could, you know, lose some weight. I was 17 years old. And they said, oh, you'll never lose those thighs. Look at the family. And I did look at the family, but I also looked at what my family ate and I made a choice. But they didn't believe it was possible. And I made it possible. So I, I transformed my outer, but I also transformed my mind into mm -hmm. thinking, yeah, I never have cravings for pasta. I mean, if it's in front of me, I'll eat it. But <laughs> I, I don't crave it. I don't cook it. Um, you know, it's just I change my mindset. I transform myself. So your mother divorced and sometimes uh, she was lacking self-worth and then, then she projects it onto you. Was that mainly within the field of career, as you mentioned earlier, or, or, or in other fields too? Uh, yes, it was. it was in other areas as well because... You know, it was with my education. It was with my um, physical appearance. Why would I want to change it? This is how the family is. And and I wasn't judging the family. I was judging myself. And so for me, I wanted to transform myself. I, it would have been nice to have the support. And I really, truly believe that it's made me who I am today. How I was able to stand up for her, even though she couldn't stand for me. I see. So you transformed yourself to a better version, uh, even though maybe your your mother didn't see that uh, that potential. 
And um, can you elaborate more on your book? I've not read it, uh, to be honest, but so can you share what, what's it about, why you've written it? Uh, yes. So uh, again, it's called You'll Never because that's what I was told throughout my life in different areas of my life. I, you know, even when I was uh, then married, I was told you'll never be able to leave me. You'll never, you know, get to keep the children. You'll never win this lawsuit. And I had two litigations. So I share the stories in a way that this is what happened and these are the lessons I learned. It's not a, in a way of, oh, I'm the victim. Oh my goodness, this happened to me. I share it from, this is what happened. And, and these are the lessons I learned and how can it support you or someone you know going through it or how can it prevent them from going through it? These are the signs. And, and how to empower others to show them what is possible through self-advocacy, how when we use our voice and how to use our voice, because I had to use my voice uh, in a court of law, uh, speaking to the judge, I had to use it uh, with police officers to protect me and not sound hysterical and just mm. say, hey, what do you think of this? And uh, so it's, it's using our voice and how to use our voice. And um, is it written for anyone or are you focusing on women? No, it's, uh, it, yes, it's written for everyone. Uh, okay. You know, the forward was written by Dr. Betty Uribe and she really feels that it gives you as a man, the perspective of what we were going through. I talk about Wall Street. So therefore, you know, I talk about business and, and negotiation and empowerment for, for everyone. Because earlier you talked about values that they're important for you. Uh, yes. Also, when someone breaks your values, you want to speak up. And I think Betty, Dr. Betty Reba wrote a book called Values, right? Hashtag values. Yes, she did. Is that the reason you asked her to write it? Or why did you ask her? Um, actually, we had never met. And then uh, someone suggested I ask her and I asked her and... Um, she wasn't sure she was going to do it. And I said, well, can I send her a video thanking her for considering the opportunity? And we had a conversation and the conversation, uh, we realized that we had a lot of the same values and, and she would not um, endorse my book until she found out that my values, my virtues and the other ingredients in my recipe for self-advocacy in life, uh, we were very aligned. I mean, I see her almost every day in a, in a group that, that we're in. And that's why she agreed to do it. And we're like, you know, sisters, <laughs> uh, yeah. so spiritual sisters at this point. Spiritual sisters. So you found out you have similar values. Can you share what your top values are? Yes, it is uh, integrity, love, respect, loyalty. Integrity, love, respect, loyalty, and loyalty, truth. Truth, yeah. And how if people if people are not yet clear about what their values are for some reason, yes. Can you give them a suggestion on how to get clarity on this? Yes. I think when we when we journal, when we write it down, you know how we feel about certain things or how we feel when people do something that hurts us. 
So what are, what are your values? Uh, for me, growing up, I used to watch my aunt, and she would clearly say, what's the matter? How were they raised? And so it was through people's uh, poor behavior that I learned how not to be. And so I would watch, I would observe people. How do I want to be? How did I raise you know, my children to be. So my children are, I can leave them, you know, pretty much in anyone's company. They're grown now. And uh, I think you just need to, to, to see what's important to you in your heart. Yeah. So you look in your heart and, and, and you, you see what's important and you can do an exercise like what happens when people hurt me? Yes. And that's how not, that's who not to be. <laughs> that's good but sometimes the more challenging experience can teach us I, I i agree and why is it beneficial to have clarity on your values um well what i say is i i take them with me like in a backpack wherever i go so whether i'm in business i i'm meeting new people do i want to be in a group of people that do not Not that I can't be, you know, uh, acquaintances with them, but do I want them to be in my close circle if they don't have the same values, if their lifestyle is, is not in alignment with the way I live? And it's not a judgment. It's very important to have the people around you that are going to lift you up. And so if they're on a different path, that's okay. But I don't want them in my close circle so my values go with me wherever even if there's a shiny object like a lot of money to do a project with someone yes the money is great are their values how are they treating the people around them and i watch how they treat people do i want to be associated and hang out or work with someone who isn't doesn't have the same values as me is going to treat people poorly And, and that's a reflection of me because the people that are closest to you, you either become who they are or they'll become who you are, you know? So you yeah. want to lift people up. I want to lift people up. So it's very important to me to, to observe how, how people treat others. I see. So your values gives you direction in terms of whom to hang out with privately, whom to work with professionally. Um, yes. So that's that's very useful. And if at some point you discover that that some people are not aligned anymore with your values, or maybe your, your values have evolved, do you sometimes proactively let people go, or do you let it happen? These are two different approaches, right? There are two different approaches, and that's so wonderful that you said that. So sometimes people will go out of your life because there's something they see in you that, um, and I don't like to use the word jealous, um, but it, it makes them feel less than. It makes them feel less than. So they're going to just leave your space, and I never question it. I don't like call people up and go, oh, well, what happened? Or, you know, it's hurtful. It would be nice. But when someone's truly your friend, they're going to talk to you and say, you know, this made me feel uncomfortable. That made me feel uncomfortable. And then there could be a correction. Then recently, uh, there's been a few people who, um, who have, sh when people show you who they are, believe them. So there have been people who weren't truthful 
it took me a while to see it, especially when the heart is involved, our clarity gets clouded. And so um, when you see that, you get to choose to step away because it could be hurtful. You know, they're, they're living their life. They may come to the table in business or in a personal relationship wanting to, there's something in you that they want. They have an agenda. So they'll be something that they're not. I, I talk about it in my book, the wolf in sheep's clothing. So mm. all of a sudden the layers come off and you see who they really are and it could be scary. So you need to step away. And how do so, you do that? So that's when people uh, want something. And can you give an example of what people could want from you? They could um, want to uh, be around me because of the circles that I'm in. They may want to, uh, and people have done it, said, oh, can I get into that Zoom room? Why do you want to be in the Zoom room? You could watch it on Facebook. Why don't you show up every day on Facebook and we'll see, I, you know, let me see if you can come in. They want to come in because they want to be seen. So then that will provide them with people seeing them. And then maybe they could get business out of it because there's a trust yeah. that comes with being with certain people that I'm with. People yeah. trust me. So if they trust me and I say, Hey, so-and-so and, -so, and yeah. And so they have an agenda. They want something from me. Or people may want to just hang out with you because you're fun. You have a lot of fun toys. You have cars, <laughs> you have boats. And they just want to hang out with you. And then they drain you. They're called um, parasites or leeches or yeah. things like that. And they just want to hang on because you're bringing the fun. You have I like see. success and they want part of that. But what I are they bringing? Some people are skipping a step then in, in the trust ladder. They immediately want to be part of a group without like interacting a bit and, and, and hanging out. Yeah, and they want to bring value. Yeah. So, so I like to bring value wherever I go. I want to bring something in. It could even just be, you know, when you go to someone's house, you want to bring something. You want to share. You want to help clean up. You want to do something. Bring value. Yeah. But I like that. So getting clarity on your values is, is a great recipe for life. And then making sure your 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 friends and your colleagues match these uh, these values. Another thing that you talked about earlier is that you had an experience in court. Um, yes. Can you share a bit what happened there? What you learned from it? Uh, well, you talk about you know uh, values and clarity, and and so I was taken to court falsely. I was accused of also a crime. I was accused of like breaking and entering. None of this had ever occurred. I, I knock at my door, an officer. And because of who I be and, and, and people who knew me in the area. So that was fine. That, that I didn't have to worry about. And then I had to go to court. I had a, a it was a second litigation. I was taken to court falsely. And I, um, my attorney was like, oh, you just need to settle. Mm -hmm. After it was put on for three to four years, I said, at this point, I want to get in front of the judge. I want to tell my story. Oh, just settle. I said, settling is unsettling to me that mm -hmm. I want to tell my story. And I had to go on the stand and it was one document after another saying, oh, this is exhibit 35. This is exhibit 36. Look at this. And, and it was brought before me and I was so nervous. 
And yet I was like, take a breath. We all get to do that. Take a breath and just speak your truth. So one thing was that, you know, I went to NYU University, um, New York University. Mm -hmm. I did. But I didn't have a degree. So they were trying to say, oh, you're lying. Look at you. And I said, no, I absolutely did. Mm. And then the judge looked at me and he said, well, what year did you complete? And then I got embarrassed and I got emotional. I, I started to cry a little bit. And not that I suggest that. I, I wasn't faking it. And I just looked at him. I said, I'm so embarrassed to even say. I said, I completed ninth grade. I went to 10th, but I didn't complete. And I said, I'm so, you know, embarrassed. And later, then he, he really dug into the case. And I won my case in its entirety. And I ended up very victorious. Mm-hmm. And that's the things I share in my book is that you can become victorious by using your voice. It's not being mm-hmm. the victim. It's being the victor. And thus settling is unsettling means that you need to speak up instead of like meet in the middle. What it means for me is that if you settle, will you have regret a year later, two years later? Will you always be thinking about it? If it's going to interfere, then don't settle. If, if you're fine with it, the settling is, is, is meeting in the middle, so to speak, like you just said, and you're fine with it, then that's okay. But make sure you know that you will not have regret. Otherwise, go the distance, use your voice, and whether you win or lose, you won't have regret. I like that. So it's it's not about always pleasing others or meeting in the middle, but sometimes you need to take a distance, you need to take a stand, you need to speak up. I think that's a very good um, uh, recommendation. And um, um, I've also been uh, reading on your website that you, you wrote about heartbreak and, and divorce. Um, can you share a bit about these uh, topics? Uh, yes. I mean, I'm not one for divorce. I'm for relationships. I love love. And, you know, in my uh, marriage, I, I helped... I became a broker, not having much education. So I helped my husband uh, succeed, go from like 30,000 to three quarters of a million dollars. I helped him create an amazing uh, business and, and I didn't do it on my own. You know, he went out and he sold and, and I helped him. Uh, I was the support at home, but I, I saw in him his ability to do that. And as he grew in his business, he kind of started pushing me to the side and he became like this gorilla, so to speak, and, and became very uh, angry and abusive. And you would think having all this success, he had financial success beyond what he ever imagined, beyond what his brothers created, who were doctors and lawyers and such. And um, so that was very difficult for me. I didn't want to leave because we had children together, yet it was not healthy for me. It was toxic. And so I went through a three-year, $300,000 litigation for my freedom. And you can't put a price on freedom. Mm. Freedom to be myself, freedom to be safe. I feel that every person, male, female, child, color, religion, doesn't matter. Every person should feel safe in every environment, in the school, in the workplace, and at home. Mm. And how has that been to, 
emotionally for you to go through such a three-year-long process? Um, once I got my freedom, I thought I'd be out celebrating, but I was so exhausted because it was, I was emotionally attacked every day, basically, you know, oh, you'll have nothing. You'll be nothing. And, um, well, he read the book. He spoke to me at the beginning of this year, my ex-husband, and he apologized and I started crying because I didn't need the apology. I said to him, oh, I forgave you a long time ago in the writing of my book after many edits, not wanting to really share all that he did. Um, I said, I forgave you. And he was relieved that I forgave him. And he mm. said, it was very hard to, to read. That's beautiful. So you already forgave him in your own process. Uh, it's sometimes important, right? Because if you don't forgive someone else, you're, you're the one that, that keeps on being hurt. But how did it make you feel that he still apologized? Um, it, it was a, a shock and a blessing. And, and that he reflected, uh, he did have a medical issue, and that he reflected and, and then he shared you know, oh, I'm so sorry with this and this. And um, it really meant a lot to me. It really showed me that using my voice and and doing it with all the edits in, in a better way, because we don't need to be mean and nasty and, you know, let the hurt come through. Just tell the facts and be kind as I could be. You know, I'm, I'm using it as a story to share with others so that they can be empowered. But his apology really meant everything. It really was amazing. Shocking. Yeah, it is, right? But there are people, sometimes you need to go through a, a cycle before you, uh, yeah, before you apologize. I recently sent an email to um, the mother of my ex-girlfriend. It was already 13 years ago. Yes. But I still wanted to to apologize for, for something. And what I experienced that I procrastinated this because you, you push it away or you think maybe it's too late. But if you keep on thinking it's too late, then it will become later and later. But I'm happy that I did so. I think she, she appreciated it. Um, but yeah, but we can... We, we can oh, sorry, go ahead. Because you're acknowledging... Listen, I, I take 100% responsibility for my part in any relationship I was in, business or personal. And, and it's really nice when someone opens up and shares their responsibility. And then when you ever meet again, if you ever meet again, you, you have peace. You both have peace. You gave that person peace yeah. by acknowledging, acknowledging that whatever it was yeah it's really nice when someone acknowledges so you mean the, uh, so your husband gave you peace or you gave him peace or, or mutual well i gave him peace without him knowing it long a long time ago and then when he apologized and he 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 asked for my forgiveness he said will you forgive me and when i said i forgave you a long time ago he started to cry wow that's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah, we humans can make mistakes, but then there's a there's a big challenge in admitting the mistake, right? There's a huge challenge in it. It takes it takes complete vulnerability 
to do that and letting go of your ego, especially for a man, you know, to let go of that ego and, and just say you're sorry. It means the world to someone else, really. An apology is huge. It is. It is huge. Yeah. And I think if you fe still feel there's something, then probably it's also still there for the other person, right? Yes. Sometimes, yeah. So to what extent are uh, apologizing and self-advocacy connected? Oh, that's a great question. Um, because you're using your voice. You're, you're sharing your complete vulnerability verbally with someone else and allowing them to know that they are valued, that you're apologizing. And it, it just allows them to also have peace. So you're giving them a gift. You're actually giving a gift to someone else. I think when you forgive them, but the gift also comes back to you because there's nothing greater than, than peace, mm. you know? Yeah. So it's about speaking up and, 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 and finding peace. Yeah. Beautiful, um, beautiful topics. So, um, uh, with the soul kitchen, I talk about topics with people that you don't learn at school or in the traditional education system. So how do you view education and, and these types of life skills like what's your perspective on this i think the most important thing that we can teach our children are life skills the things that they have taken out of the school i don't understand teaching children i've gone into uh, impoverished areas to teach home ec to teach a child my, one of my gifts is cooking so this is great you know, the soul kitchen, uh, because when you cook for someone and, and you hand people food, you're not just, it's not just the uh, nutrients that you're giving them from the food. You're also sharing love. I believe being in the kitchen and, and cooking for others is a gift of love. And so um, for me, focusing out is like everything. You know, how can we give back? And so they don't teach you that in school. They don't teach you. They teach you how to have a career and make all this money, yet they don't teach you how to save the money, how to invest the money. Um, they don't teach you how to connect and care for other people. So important. Yeah. So life skills is also a responsibility for parents. Uh, that you, yes. that you teach, teach the skills that you don't learn at school. I think that makes uh, makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned that you work in, in impoverished um, uh, areas. And also on your website, I've seen that you, you're involved in some uh, philanthropic work. Can you elaborate on your activities and why you've chosen them? Uh, yes. Well, the one with the uh, Jersey Shore Dream Center, which is still, go is still going on, but they moved. They moved, so I... I not in that area anymore. Um, so for me, we started with a bottle of water. We walked to the train station giving out water and finding out the needs of the people so we could fill the gap. And then uh, we took food into the areas in our cars and our trucks. And then we were able to rent a 
a church, a building that had a kitchen. So we started cooking and we prep like on Tuesday to serve on Thursday. And it went from like 50 people to 400 people sometimes. And, and we would cook and hand out all this food and, uh, and sit with the people. So I would hand the tray and I would talk to the people and I realized we're all the same. So as much as we're different, it doesn't matter how much money you have, what color your skin is, what religion or any of that. Um, a woman was crying. She had a breakup. A breakup's a breakup. doesn't matter. Uh, another woman, her nephew got stabbed 14 times. She was in the line crying. I stopped the line and I gave her a hug and we started praying for the woman. And we ended up doing the funeral for her nephew. So for me, I've written checks when I worked on Wall Street. I wrote checks, you know, because supposedly I was so busy. Nothing is greater than experience the connection with other humans. Mm -hmm. So giving money is, 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 is maybe too transactional sometimes. And it's really important to engage your, your time and yourself in the activity. For me, yes. I can I can imagine. So that's the Jersey Shore Dream Center, and and you're also involved in Common Grounds and the Guild of Ocean Medical Center. Yes. So the Guild of Ocean Medical Center, which now is a big umbrella, so they don't really need the uh, help so much anymore. And still, uh, we were able to raise money. And the reason I came in is friends just invited me. And then we would do fashion shows and I love fashion. And so I would pick regular people, you know, just friends and, oh, would you be it? And beautiful boutiques, the B boutique in my area, she would donate the clothes for the thing and everybody would come and we would have a beautiful fashion show and all these amazing women would come and we'd raise money, you know, 60, 80, 90, over a hundred thousand dollars for the community and I would, we would write a check to Common Grounds, uh, to Bereavement Center for children who lost a sibling or a parent. And um, also for doctors that had needs beyond what the hospital could provide. So it could be a machine that they wanted, and we would provide that. So yeah, that, That's beautiful. So you're involved in some of these um, activities. And I'm curious, over your life, has the willingness to contribute to others? Has that always been there or did that grow due to certain life events? Uh, it was always there. It started with helping, supporting my mom, uh, family members in different ways, because it's not always the money. Um, you know, like some of these event charity charities have dissipated or gone to other areas. So I'm not actually involved. I still am with common ground. I give when I, you know, as I sell books, I write a check. <laughs> <laughs> and um, for me, I've done it my whole life. And then I said, when I was on Wall Street, I wrote the checks. And then when I was in my marriage, uh, because it was very controlled, the only way I can get out was to do a soup kitchen. And I started that. Um, and I thought I'd be a blessing to them. But to be the to tell the truth, these elderly that I uh, made soup and sandwiches for and and prayed with, they were a blessing to me. I wow. learned so much. So, what did you learn from them? 
the wisdom that they had when you listen to the elderly it's it's the opposite of listening to the to the ch- the children you hear their dreams but these are people who live their dreams or did not live their dreams and you can learn a lot from someone who didn't live their dreams mm. so what specifically can you learn from someone that didn't live their dream uh well there's a gentleman i used to sit at, at lunch with he's still around at my gym and i would sit there with him and He's probably in his 80s and he has a lot of regret. He he was like an amazing tennis player and he had this job and and he would date women but he would never commit and so now he's very lonely and he doesn't have a partner and um he seems very sad most of the time. Mm. So he said that he didn't commit to women and then at some point maybe it was too late. That's um, a, a good teaching for me too, and I know some other people that have difficulty with committing. Um, He has yeah. regret. Yeah, that, that. Yeah. So if you look at regret in life, so basically what you say, you can learn from people that they didn't live their dream, dream that they had certain uh, regrets. So how do people avoid that they have regret regrets later on within the context of self advocacy? Uh, well, you're a great example of that because when you have something on your mind, so you spoke it. You said you wrote a letter to this person mm-hmm. to apologize or whatever it may be. So when you let go of all of that, because anything that we you don't want to have regret, so use your voice to apologize to those to to live your life to the fullest. So, you know, advocating for yourself is also learning to fill yourself up, to put the oxygen mask on yourself, to be the best version of yourself so that when you go out in the world, you're available and you're present for other people. So for me, I, I think it's very empowering to use my voice to say no. So if I didn't feel that you and I were in this group that we're in, uh, if I didn't feel aligned, I would have said no, or I wouldn't have responded to your wonderful invitation to do this podcast. Um, Because again, my values, I put them up, my values are extremely important to me and, and I get to say no. So using my voice really keeps me safe also. I see. So self-advocacy and using your voice and and speaking up and acting on your desires can be really important to not have regrets later, but also setting your boundaries and saying no to things that are not aligned with your values is also important. Um, I I agree. And I can add to that. It's also important to know when something is finished because I start projects sometimes and once a project is finished or collaboration is finished, you also need to learn how to end things, right? Yes. And, and life is short. So I love to read. And if a book isn't interesting to me, I don't finish it. I don't need to complete a project. I could start something and people go, oh, well, I don't quit anything. Well, life is short. I'm not a quitter. And I'm also not going to continue something that's not bringing me joy. No, I see. So it's important to be gentle with yourself, not always to, to want to finish things. In, ter- in terms of personality types, I mean, is there any personality type system that, that you use your, yourself? And, and then I'm curious which one you are. 
or are you more intuitive and you don't use? So these? a personality type, um, you know, people say, are you the A? Are you this? Are you that? So I, I like to consider myself a woman of integrity and, and, and um, of excellence. I, I like to live in excellence. And what my excellence is, isn't perfectionism. It's just being the best version of myself on a daily basis. Meaning, you know, you can knock on my door right now and you could come into my home and I don't have to. I live in excellence. That's that's uh, who I be. I see. So your angle is really the the, the values point of view, right? Yes. The, the values that, that matter to you. I'm also curious because um, I feel some of your wisdom comes from your own life experience, like like with everyone, basically. And some of your wisdom probably comes from teachers. On your website, I found some quotes from Rosa Parks, Nelson Mandela, Maya Angelou. I'm not sure if I pronounced her correctly. But why yeah. did you choose these people? Uh, well, I chose Rosa Parks. It's amazing is I quote her in, in my speeches. And this is why it's very important to journal. So I've quoted her in my speeches. And one time as I was practicing a speech in the middle of quoting her, um, I get a text saying, you need to connect to these people. So now I sit on the committee for the Rosa and Raymond Parks Museum and the O Mansion, which are connected. She made it her home. And her book, which I don't know if I have it handy, is um, Beyond the Bus. So if you know the story of Rosa Parks. I don't know. So Rosa Parks uh, is a... A black woman who in the, uh, I believe it was in the 70s, uh, she stayed seated. So there was separation. There was separation where she could not sit in the front of the bus and, and the, the blacks would sit in the back of the bus. And if there was an empty seat, it would go to the white person. So she was sitting, I believe in her section, she was seated. And they asked her to get up. And uh, so sometimes we take a stand hmm. by staying seated. Ah, uh, I see. So she's also an inspiration within the theme of speaking up. She is an amazing woman. Nelson Mandela came all the way to the United States just to meet Rosa Parks. And they pushed her in the back. And he said, no, I'm looking for Rosa Parks. And she got to come to the front. She's an amazing woman. She has extreme wisdom. Her book is beyond, you know, uh, my friend H wrote the book. She is the owner of the O Mansion in Washington, D.C. And Rosa Parks made that her second home. Mm. And so she wrote the, the wisdom <laughs> I think I heard the story before, but I didn't realize it was connected to, to her name. So that, it's amazing that when you write things down. So yes, I have a connection to her. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's beautiful. And then Maya Angelou, I think, wasn't she the, the, the mentor of Oprah Winfrey? Yes, yes, she was. And, Absolutely. And why did you pick, pick her? Uh, because she talks about uh, her, one of her, she has many beautiful quotes. Um, the wisest thing that I have ever done is be on my own side, be an advocate for myself and others like me, Maya Angelou. Ah, so it's, it's being an advocate for yourself first, right? And um, if people are listening to this and they want to grow in, in, into self-advocacy, can you explain a few 
pragmatic steps that people can take to, to increase their self-advocacy skills? Yes. When you start to remember a situation, because usually it happens when you didn't use your voice, when you stayed in the back of the, the room or, or at a board, a boardroom or in your family and you didn't speak up, you should write down what you would have said. Write down what you would have said, which you wish you did say. And, um, and then the next time that situation comes up with the same person or not, um, be brave enough, get the courage enough to, to use your voice. Don't be afraid because the people who truly love you, it's how you use your voice. If you say, oh, gee, when this happened, this is how it made me feel. So, so learning how to use your voice. And that's why I work with people in business and in their personal life. I coach them and mentor them on how to use their voice because it is so important. So, so step one is really understanding in your own history, like the, the moments where you wish you had spoken up. To really yes. analyze maybe why you didn't do it, how it made you feel, what you wish you had said. So it's it's really understanding these these situations. And then if you've done that, what's what's then the next step? Well, I, I want to say the reason you don't do it is because you fear. You fear that they'll reject you. You feel they'll get angry at you. You fear that um, they'll no longer be your friend or your confidant. Um, so fear gets in the way, right? Yeah, yeah it's the fear, right? Yeah. Okay. And then, then what's next? Um, well, if you know that you're going to speak your truth, don't worry about the outcome. Ah, I see. I see. So, so you really have to focus on the truth instead of the outcome. Yes. And that's how I won my case in its entirety on in court. And I had, I was a witness on the stand. I had to be on the stand and I spoke my truth for every exhibit that they put against me which mm. i was nervous to speak yet i knew i can do it with my eyes closed my truth is my truth you mm. can never make a mistake when you tell the truth i didn't worry about the outcome i just knew i needed to speak the truth that makes a lot of sense can you elaborate um, what potential challenging outcome people might fear uh, well, for me, when I was in um, my last relationship, I feared using my voice because I guess I felt that um, I wouldn't be chosen. Mm. So the only uh, disagreements we had were over, over one situation. And uh, I guess I, 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 I had fear, so I didn't know how to communicate. And also, it's very hard for me to communicate around people who are very angry. So I stay quiet and still and I observe because people don't realize how, in, how intuitive I am. And I can literally know when someone is lying to me, which then it's hard for me to hide my emotion when people are lying. I see. <laughs> it could be fear of rejection, could be fear of, of anger. So imagine. Um, yes. Anger for me, because I've been in that situation where um, I could be hurt yeah. physically. So. I, um, I've analyzed my past. I have decided I speak my truth and I'm not fearing the outcome. But then imagine there's a certain outcome that is challenging for me, like someone rejects me or is angry. 
how do I then deal with that outcome? Or is it about not dealing? <laughs> well, I think sometimes for me, for me, I can only speak through my experiences. I step back and I wait to see what will, um, what will happen and if it can be corrected because communication is key. And so if I say something and I offend someone and they choose to be angry, um, I look forward to the opportunity to communicate, but if they choose not to reach out to me again, then they were never to be in my life anyway. I see. So sometimes there's value in stepping back and pausing for a moment instead of trying to solve the, the issue. Push, push, push. You know, when, when uh, a woman's coming towards you, towards you, towards you, you tend to step back. So I think it's best to step back and, and watch what the other person is going to do. Because when someone wants to be in your life, there's nothing that can stop them. No, I, I see. But that's a very beautiful advice because I am... Um, I'm quite proactive and I have a lot of energy. Sometimes I can have these to-do lists, you know, so I'm productive. But I've been starting to learn that in some situations, you really yeah, need to have a pause or things will solve themselves out, right? Yes, uh, and we were talking about someone earlier who, who uh, you know, that's how we're connected. And, and she is a great person to learn to be still. And so for me, when I meditate and I journal and I think about it, uh, it's, it's much better for that pause to meditate on and wait for the answer, wait for the whisper. Because when you are the best at what you do, there's not a company in the world that won't try to recruit you. So I know for me, you know, people recruit and, mm -hmm. and they're looking for you. So when someone wants you, they will reach out to you. I sure. see. I see. So that's really about, about trusting, right? That if you're supposed to be in each other's life, then that will happen. Well, so much um, uh, wisdom. Um, another topic I want to know more about, on your website, you mentioned about not numbing the pain. Yes. Can you talk about this numbing? So numbing the pain is when we're going through something difficult, uh, people, instead of dealing with it and becoming vulnerable and feeling it, because you got to feel it to heal it. People numb the pain by drinking, by partying, by sex, drugs, all of that. So for me, I cannot be clear in that state. And if I'm already hurting, I may make a mistake and then I'll hurt some more. So going from, you know, my, uh, the marriage and that, uh, violence, I didn't want to make a mistake. So I took time to heal three years for three years. I did not date. I just healed myself and I focused on my children. And even though I'd go out, I wouldn't drink. Not that I was afraid to drink. I could drink. I just chose not to. I was in fear that my children would be taken away, that I would be seen in a different light than who I really am. Mm. So I focused to, and chose not to numb the pain because I wanted to feel it. And everybody's like, don't you want to just get the edge off? Call the doctor, get a pill. I said, but I know the source of the pain. When you know the source of the pain, you got to just let it just, it's going to go away. It's going to go away. I see. So it's also about taking time for it instead of like numbing and, and distracting yourself. 
that's a topic that I uh, come across more often in this field of personal development and, and, and spirituality. So it seems to be a common theme. A lot of pieces of wisdom already that you uh, shared. If people are interested in knowing more of this topic, what type of resources, books, documentaries do you recommend for people to? Well, I do put them in the in the back of my book. Currently, I'm reading a book on um, the power of intuition. So, tuning more into your you know your feelings uh, to know um, to know yourself better. And to, you know, when you feel it, like I know now that I look back at certain situations, I, my heart got in the way of my intuition where I wasn't seeing, but I felt it. And I remember, and I go, oh my gosh, that, 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 and it all comes clear. So I'm very clear now and, and, and being still really helps me make the right decisions. Mm. So listening to your intuition, being still. And what would you say, because the Soul Kitchen is also my purpose, is to inspire people to live their quest, you know, the, the, the quest, that, quest. They were, that they were born for. So how would you summarize your your quest? Of how to live my best life? No, or maybe what, what is your quest or what is your, your mission? My mission is to uh, be overly abundance so that I can be the most profound philanthropist ever. <laughs> Overly abundant to be the most profound philanthropist ever. I really uh, like that. Well, it was such a pleasure to to listen to your, to your wisdom. I learned uh, a lot uh, from it, especially around self-advocacy and, and, and stillness and spaciousness and and not being fearful for the outcome when you want when you want to speak your your truth that's a really good reminder um maybe my last question is is there a last like piece of wisdom that you want to share with people listening to this podcast or or maybe how they can collaborate with you uh yes i would say to write down your dreams your desires and let nothing stand in the way thank you for that uh, piece of wisdom and thank you for your time thank you people for listening and i hope to see you uh, soon thank you ciao